This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top tier lineup. With Leap Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a very, very great honour, and without wishing to blow smoke, one of my all-time favourite Ipswich Town players, Marcus Stewart in the flesh. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks, Ben. Yeah, all good. Um, good. So you're back in Bristol doing the assistant manager gig. Did you always think you'd end up... Always seems to be your favourite part of the country, doesn't it? Always um, seem to end up back that way. Is it your favourite place to live? Well, obviously I was brought up here, so... um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I know know the city quite well. Uh, It's a great place to live. Um, I obviously moved away for about 10 years before I came back. Um, you know, in football, you never know where you're going to end up. Uh, that was the case as, as when, I, when I played. And, and I'm sure, you know, as a coach now, I've been a coach for, um, God, almost as long as I've uh, played for, I think. Um, so since I was 32. So I'm now 45. So. As it happens, you know, my coaching career took me to Exeter and now I'm back into Bristol. So at, at the club I first started at, but um, like I say, football's football. You, you, you know, if you want to go on and do well, you've got to be prepared to move around one day. Um, and I'm sure that will happen in the future. But Bristol, I love you. I love the um, for the uninitiated, I mean, I just sit in the stands. Day to day, what does an assistant manager do? Are you, are you, on, the, are you on the training field or are you in the office? Bit of both, really. I mean, we're getting quite early, so you know. Luckily, these days you can do a lot of work from home in terms of watching games and um, that sort of thing um, with the internet and um, different bits of software you can download to watch watch games, players. So um, I tend to do that sometimes in the office, sometimes at home. Um, a lot of planning, organisation goes on. Um, you know, if you're having a staff meeting, you might come up with an idea that someone hasn't come up with, and you know, those sort of things. Disagreeing, agreeing with the manager, it's um, yeah, it's all those sorts of things, really. And you know, you you, you are an assistant; the manager makes the decisions. Um, I'm there to help him um, in terms of organisation, not just on the pitch, you know, off it as well. Um, as Mick will probably tell you, there's a lot of things that have to go on, and I probably only see or know about. 20% of what goes on uh, 
with the manager behind the scenes. So um, I'm just there to help him when I can. Um, do you, my role's my role's a lot of coaching. So. Do you particularly do striker stuff? And what I wanted to ask you as well is, um, you know how quickly the game moves. Mm. Obviously, you your prime was nearly. 20 years ago now when you're coaching strikers does what you did still work nowadays do, do, do you know what I'm saying um you know you got you got to be I think you have to coach a striker you know and and grew up with his DNA and what type of striker he is I think every striker gets goals in in different ways you know um you know I'll give you an example for me um, Alan Shearer got his goals in different ways. I got my goals. Um, you know, he like to be fair, I like crosses in the box as well, and I liked headed goals. But I, I think Alan Shearer has scored more long distance goals than I could. Um, that was the way it was. I mean, and that's the way it is. And I think you know, every striker that comes to our club, whether they're young, experienced, I like to think, um, especially the experienced lads, are open minded. Uh, I've got some different ideas, uh, new ideas that hopefully they listen to and I try to sell it to them really um, and it's the same with young lads you know getting them to good habits because uh, when a young lad comes to our club you know all I want to do is trying to get into good habits and teach the right technique and um, if I feel they've got the, the knowledge and the um, what I say and the ability to listen um, whether it's watching or showing them then they've got a real chance um, but you know, whatever player comes to this club, whether he's a defender or a striker or a midfield player, um, it's a learning environment, I would say. Um, sometimes, you know, it's like a, um, a bit like a teacher's um, classroom in terms of when you're showing them stuff. Um, and sometimes um, it can be a bit ruthless out on a training pitch. So uh, it's about knowing what players you've got and, and what they're capable of achieving. Um, I was a pretty bad footballer at school, but I always found it easiest if I was playing centre-half because I could see everything. With that in mind, is it actually harder for a striker to become a coach, bearing in mind your experience of hundreds of games was from, do you know what I'm saying, from seeing it from, you know, your view of the game would be very different as a forward. Is it more difficult for strikers to go through that way? Um, yeah, I, th I think it's difficult. Um... In terms of, you're right, the game has been, I do see the game differently. I'm looking back at our goalkeeper instead of looking at their goal. Yeah, right, goal, yeah. You know, but um, in, I felt like I had a, quite a good football brain. I could work things out. And I felt I felt like, and I still feel like now, I could play almost any position on the pitch in terms of knowledge-wise. Physical attributes might let me down for a <laughs> goal or centre-half. But... Um, you know, uh, that's part of. I think that was part of my strength. Really, I could. I was. I was quite good at working things out. Um, later on in my career, when I left Ipswich, I played centre midfield. I played. Um, I didn't play. I never played in, at the back actually in any one of the four positions at the back. Um, I played on the wing. You know, so um, I got my ideas, and I, how I think a defender should defend, uh, a fullback should defend, attack, uh, and a midfielder defend and attack. So. We all have our ideas, you know, not not everyone um, thinks the same. You know, uh, Mick was a centre-half back in his day, but I'm sure he has, has his ideas, well, I know he does for a fact, how, how, how he didn't like strikers playing against him, so that he would put them ideas across to strikers because he didn't like it. Um, so we, 
although we we're all used to when we're playing facing one certain certain direction, especially centre half and strikers, especially um, if you're a midfielder, you got to get used to both. Um, we all have a, a, a an input, or an idea on how we think each position, unit, team should play. So, some of our listeners, sadly, sadly, are never going to have seen you play. Some of our younger listeners, mm-hmm. if you could describe yourself as a, as a player to our younger listeners, how would you how would you describe yourself? I was probably. Um, a lot quicker in my mind than I was um, <laughs> in my pace. That, that's what I would say. And I was quite clever um, in my movement, which would get me that extra two or three yards that raw pace might have got a lot of other people. Great stuff. Um, right, let's, can we go back to the to the good old days at Ipswich then? People are going to love to hear this. So, um, obviously, I don't want to ignore all what you did before you came to Ipswich. So... Just quickly, um, started at Bristol Rovers through to 96, moved to Huddersfield, and then you got to the championship level, and it was 11 goals in the first season, 16. So the season before you came to Ipswich, 26 goals in the second tier for Huddersfield, who were always sort of eighth to, you know, that sort of position in the table. Um, So you scored 26 goals and finished 10th. So at the start of 99-2000, is there... Any possible thought in your head that you're going to end the season somewhere other than Huddersfield? Um, no, I mean, no, there wasn't. You know, I started the season quite well. We started off okay. We, when I left, we were doing okay as well. At Huddersfield Town, I'm on about at the moment. Um, so no, I mean, there is always, a, like I said before, there's always a possibility that you're going to move on in football, and sometimes it's uh, more obvious than not. Um, so it was very unexpected, I must admit, when it happened. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, I, was, I, I had another two or three years on my contract at Huddersfield, so um, I wasn't playing up, I wasn't demanding I leave to leave the club because there was other people interested in me, other clubs interested in me. So, no, I mean, in my mind, I was quite happy where I was. Um, it was great, I had two or three years contract left. Um, but like in football, it never, nothing never surprises you. And I wasn't surprised, if I'm honest with you, when I got, um, well, I sat down and thought about it, really, after the, the call, well, the, 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 um, the call from Steve Booth came, came in to, to, to say I could go speak to Ipswich. So I was a bit shocked at the time, but looking back now, being more experienced, you, you know, I shouldn't be shocked by things like that happening. Um... So that year, you'd already got 12 goals. And I remember it was a nice partnership with Weinhardt up front as well. He was a good player as well. Um, how, how does this work? Explain to us. So you're playing for you're playing for Huddersfield. I assume you have an agent or a lawyer. What what actually what actually happens when Ipswich want to come and sign you? And what, what was the process to get there? Um, well, I, you know, uh, I had a f- agent who my financial advisor who's a good guy um, by the way young lads listening that are going to be footballers make sure you get someone that you can trust when you're young if you're going to get an agent because a lot of them a lot of them are good but there's one or two bad as well so make sure you get the right guy and I've, I'm still with him now he's still a great guy I trust him um, impeccably so that was from the age of 18 till now I'm 45 so he's a good 
he's my agent anymore. I don't need one. Um, but, um, you know, he's a good friend and he looks after me financially. So make sure you pick the right guy, chaps. Um, on a separate story note, um, I got a phone call. Generally, sometimes if you want to go, you might push it with a manager, with the agent and the manager or agent types your name around, which is the wrong thing to do, I think, unless both clubs are happy with that. Um, but as this happened, literally got off, I came to training one morning, I forget what morning it was, and Steve Bruce called me into the into his office, I was just got changed into my training gear, and said I could, um, Ipswich were interested with you, and if we've accepted an offer, you're more than welcome to go down and speak to them. And it was literally as blunt and as quick as that. And I went, all right, okay, and I walked out the portal cabin office at the time, and that was it and I went I went and called my agent at the time and from then onwards we had a conversation and I was down on the road within two hours probably so I suppose it's quite that phone call. it's quite a good spot to be if you're if you're not bothered about going somewhere I suppose you just turn up and no, listen to wasn't, listen to what they've got to say yeah I wasn't no and um, you're right that, that, you have to have that mindset that you're prepared to move around the country to achieve your goal um, unless you're very lucky to stay at one club all your life and you achieve that. But very rarely does that happen unless you're at Man United or Man City as it stands or Chelsea. So, and generally those young lads get moved on anyway. So, um, yeah, and that was, I felt Ipswich had a good chance of getting into the playoffs, having not got into the playoff final the previous two years. I thought I felt like I really, I genuinely felt that you know I could make a difference. Um, actually, the club record signing at the time does does stuff like that bother you in no. a good way or about no, just well, not interested? So lucky like that. I mean, I'm sure it might um, bother one or two people, but I didn't look it like that. I just I just got my head down and um, didn't really. Let, I suppose it was a bit of a strength of mine. I didn't really let a lot of things affect me. If I'm honest with you. Um, so the same sort of thing, obviously Ipswich had a really good striker there already, David Johnson, who you know, was always up with yourself and Phillips at the top of the scoring chart. When, when you're coming in, do you kind of think, right, am I going up against this guy? Am I going to play with him? What, what, what was the feeling, being there was already someone there doing what you were doing at Huddersfield? Um, you, know, you know that you're going to be up against him, I think. You know, someone like Jono, who, you know, I, I think, I thought played off a big man, a bit like I did, really, um, with obviously James Gocroft and Richard Naylor, who were there at the time. Um, so I, I I thought that, you know, um, wasn't naive enough to think that, you know, me and Jono would be going for a couple, a one, one spot. And I think... Um, Generally, to start with, he was the one who was ahead of me. Um, but saying that George did play me out on the left uh, in a three up front at times. I remember one game, particularly against Norwich, when that happened, it didn't go too well um, at home at um, Portman Road. So, um, yeah, it's you, you accept that. You know, you know, you're not going to be the only striker at any club. You know that that you're not. You've got to earn your right to play in the games. That it's that simple, really. You know we're in a professional environment, and you're going to be up against someone. But ultimately, your teammates and 
you have to support each other. Uh, and me and me, Jono, Scoey, and Richard Nader got on really well with each other. So good for good for. Um, so you make your debut at Barnsley. Scowcroft gives it just the lead, and you're put through at two nil. And we get to see. I don't know what you call this move. So you go in on the keeper as if to side foot it in one corner, wrap your foot around it, and lay the keeper down and go around the other side. When you're going through. Mm. Uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, are you waiting for the keeper to do something? Or as you're going through, are you like, right, I know exactly what I'm going to do. and I'm, Or do you just do it off the cuff? Because that move, and we're going to talk about another even more staggering goal than that one. Um, that, that move looked pre-rehearsed. But what's, what's the thought process when you're going through with that? I think, I, you know, I've never, ever done training. I never, when I... That's an instinctive move. There's no doubt about that. That's just recognising where the space is around the keeper. Um, so in terms of training schedules when I was a player, that was never worked on, you know, 20, 30 times a week. You know, I think you have to have a, a vision, uh, an instinct to know where the space is. Um, as it happened, I scored a lot, of goal, a lot of goals doing that, but that wasn't, on purpose, that wasn't premeditated. That was just instinct at that time. Wow. Um, I always thought when you were going through, it was, right, I know what I'm going to do here, but... Well, I'm obviously know what I'm going to do, but I don't prepare for it no. <laughs> until that mo until that moment in time, you know. Um, there's a lot of things going on in your mind when you've got three or four seconds to size the keeper up, size the space up. A lot of things. I've, listen, I'd rather have a, a shot on goal when it's instinctive because you haven't got a lot of time. Yeah, right, yeah. Time. Um, second game obviously ends up against Huddersfield. Um, mm. How were your how were your old teammates? Was there was there any negative feeling towards you as a no, I don't know like no, deserting I them? I think there's more negative feeling from the staff, uh, the management, I'd say, um, than there was players. Um, but I no, I don't. No staff member said that to me, but. Um, uh, Players wise, no, they were dairy mates. I'd, I'd been with most of them for um, a couple of years, so I, I got to know them quite well. So um, there's always rivalries in football, um, but after, uh, before and after your mates, not with all of them, of course, but you always get one or two mates from, from, from one club. Um, stay in touch with them, so no, there was no. There was no angry or ill feeling at all, no. Um, when you put that goal in, you looked really, really chuffed. And one of my pet hates in football now is this business of not celebrating when you score against your mm. your former team. Um, I always find it a bit patronising. It's like, well, okay, you've gone now. It's your, it's your job. Um, what's, what's your view on not celebrating? And with I think it's just a trend, and I think footballers sometimes get sucked into what other footballers do instead of doing what they think the right thing is. And at that time... My emotions were, I'm glad I've scored for Ipswich and I'm glad I scored against my old club. I know, uh, I had good times there, but it was all about now. That was back in the past. It was Now it's for me getting off to a good start at my new football club who were employing me. So the fans are watching me. So why, why? I mean, I didn't I didn't think this at the time, but why would you not celebrate, you know, to entertain your fans and please the previous fans? I, I don't get that. Um, you're there to do a job. That's it, really, and um, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy when I score most goals. Absolutely. Um, Burley keeps taking you off as the um, as the season kind of plays out as we go towards the um, 
and you I'd looked it up today you only did a full 90 minutes before we get to the playoffs um were you fully were you fully fit then was there any kind of injury stuff um I'm trying to think do you know what I, I got I got an injury in one game and I was out for a few weeks with my ankle I'm sure it was I'm just trying to think when it was I got off to a half decent start Huddersfield Barnsley a couple of other games then I got injured for a little while then I got back towards the end of the season and yeah it kept bringing me off but I was struggling for fitness in terms of physically being physically fit, being able to run. Um, so yeah, and eventually um, I got up and running again a bit, really. And uh, yeah, I don't remember the times you took me off, so I can't. I can't. No, I was, su- them, I was surprised. I kept looking well, today, and it was sixty-seven off. You know, seventy-five yeah. off. Yeah, I think for when you're out injured for a little while, it takes you a little while to get back up to full speed. So I can only assume that that's why. Um, and obviously, there's one or two times when I was played pretty, pretty rubbish. So you deserve to be taken off. And I'm sure there was one or two times when, you know, um, the 90 minutes were catching up with me a bit. Okay, right. So it's hard to do this next game without blowing smoke. But... I've seen many, many Ipswich games, and we get to this playoff semi-final, Sunday 14th of May, away at Bolton. Three years we've lost in a row, and obviously you've been brought in now to to make the difference. Johnson goes off, Mowbray goes off, and Bolton scored twice in 26 minutes. And then what the hell were you on for the rest of that game? Um, yeah, it's... Um... Did you look back at it and think... That was me. No, I, I, I do look back at it. Of course, I do. Not every day, but <laughs> you know, I, I do. And what do I think? I think leading up to that game, I understood what had to be achieved. It was we had to get to the final because we hadn't done that before. We had to, we had to get to the final because the previous two years we didn't. Just to at least give the fans a day out. Um, as happens, we won it, as you know. Um, so I knew there was a lot. That's, I didn't feel pressure, but I, uh, that was the only time leading up to those two games that I realised that, you know, we have to achieve something this year. That's that's what I felt. And I felt we had a chance of doing that. Once the game started, um, did John come off injured, did he? Yeah. For that, for that game. I know he came off for the final. I don't remember the semi-final, first leg. He came off injured first leg, did he? Yeah. Yeah, there was. Yeah. We were. We were like, I can't. I cannot believe this. Who came on for him? I don't remember. Top of my head. I, I know. Remember. I know. Russo finished. Um, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know, Marcus. Not, wrong, not on about the final now. No, I no, no. The, the the semi final away leg. Yeah. Um, I just remember the picture of Burley, and it's two 0 and Mowbray and Johnson are both sat behind him before you score the first goal, and it's it's like. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't remember. I have to look who came on. I'm not sure, but I would have thought it'd been Richard Naylor. Um, but he could have gone centre half with, with with Tony, so might have been Scoey up front. I'm not sure. You need to have. I need to have a look. I don't. I don't remember. But I just remember we went two 0 down. I think Ida Good Johnson might have scored a couple or one at least. Holdsworth and Good Johnson, yeah. And Holdsworth scored the other one, was it? Um, and um, yeah, and then it changed. I got a goal, long a long distance goal um, from little touch from Matty before pass, and then. I had a chance to get a second goal, a sitter, I missed it, put it over the bar, and then I scored the one um, to make it two each, which, which was a great, you know, 
I don't remember a lot about it, and I've watched that video, not not that goal back, but I've watched that goal back a couple of times, and the guy's head was about two millimetres mm. touching the ball before it went in the corner. You know, you talk about the fine lines of football. If you look, if you watch that back in slow motion, you know, there's a beautiful angle from behind yes, you, from just behind, as you behind behind um, the post, you know, almost in line with the post where he stuck his head out. If he had a an inch of a longer neck and he gets a touch on that ball and goes wide. It's, it's that it's that close. Um, so yeah, and then we obviously went into the into the second leg and we, we were in with the right chance. But you know, to go two 0 two nil down that game at Bolton and get get a draw and maybe should have won that game. Uh, as I remember, the second half was a lot different than the first half. You know, you take a draw anyway. We were just disappointed to come back with a draw, I think. I think you're being rather modest about that. There was a bit of a sense that it was you who kind of pulled us through. Um, we've debated this a million times. Um, can you just settle it? Which is the better goal? Um, oh, God. In terms of timing, it had to be the first one because we needed to get a goal to get us back in the game. The next goal counts. You know, they get the third goal. You're almost out of the tie. Um uh, we get a, we get the third goal and we're back in it and that's how it was. So I think that was the most important goal in terms of on the eye and uh, there's something crazy about that second goal, isn't there? Yeah, emotional. Yeah. I think that that was one that that's the one that got us back and gave and put the hope back into everyone again. Um, we had hope, obviously, getting that first goal, but that was when we really thought we had a real chance to. Um, take a good result back to Portman Road. And for the for the same player though to score those two goals in the same game, such different types of goals as well. It was I mean it's the timing of course, you know, in the semi final. They, they you know they, they both made a difference in their own way and I think they're both um ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
they were both pretty good goals in their own way, but two totally different goals, as, as you know. Um, I don't really know how to deal with the second match because it was so ridiculous. So 5-3, behind three times, three penalties, three red cards, extra time. Was there a sense on the pitch that Bolton had lost it? Because they really just, it, it went insane, didn't it? After Just before half-time when you get taken down for, I think it was Richie just like, virtually rugby tackles you for um, one of the penalties and he sides you down in the first half. So did you sense that this wasn't a normal football match? Um, listen, I remember the emotions. I remember the, the, the intensity of it. I remember um, Tony Mowbray flicking the ball on for Jimmy Jilton to get the winner. That And Jimmy Jilton getting a hat-trick. Wow, I don't think he's ever got a hat-trick before <laughs> since that, that game. What time to pull it out. Um, so no, you know what? I, I remember clippings of the game. I've never watched the game back, never. I've watched the moments back now and again, but never watched the game. I didn't remember. It was me. Was it me that got the penalty? I think you got taken down for two. Yeah, right. I don't remember that. There's one he literally it. throws. It's ridiculous. I don't think, and he's about a foot taller than you. It's, it's Richie. Do you remember the right. Scotland centre half? Yeah. Yeah, he literally throws throws you over for the. Mm. They can... Yeah, there's only snippets of the game I remember. I haven't watched it back since. Um, but that, I mean, that that goal when Jim got his hat trick goal, I mean, that was it. But did Jamie Clapham score as well? He, that night? he put. They took um, Majewton off penalties in the end because he missed one and scored right. one. So he put, uh, yeah. and then Rusa scored the breakaway right at the end for. Yeah, yeah. It was a great night. I remember in the end winning it comfortably, but up until that 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 moment. Um, you know, the game was in the balance, really. Yeah. Um, so how did you feel? Had you, I, I, forgive my lack of research, had you ever been to Wembley before as a player? In... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've lost, I lost in a semi, I lost, lost in the final there before. Um, but I played for England in the 15s as well, but and won. So I had a mixed kind of um, bag of results, if I'm honest, whenever I went there. So obviously we all know what happened at Wembley and... You talked about pleasing on the eye. The the goal you scored was was um, just beautiful, wasn't it? The the layoff and the move to the near post and heading it in the far post. Can you? It did that one stick in your mind more than the semi final? Did you get a chance to enjoy the the, the Wembley day? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, and they're always they're all as good as each other. I would say. Um, but yeah, God, yeah. And I think Jono came off injured that game. He, he did. He was, he was. I think he was a bit hyped up, and he went for a silly, silly kind of tried to jump and land on his back. I remember. That's right. Um, and um, Richard Naylor came on, and me and Richard Naylor had a really good understanding uh, and knowledge of each other's games. So, um, you know, we knew that we were going to a partnership that was as strong as me and Jono, really. So, there was no kind of negative feeling about the sub coming on uh, amongst anyone uh, and I think it proved in the game really we we, we had a all, as soon as I went to the club Richard was um, clever bright he wasn't your normal target player who was you know just flipped the ball on and that was it he had a decent awareness and football brain and knowledge and understanding of his own game and other people so we were on the same wavelength. 
and that was I think that was a telling moment in the game of Vermont. It says on soccer base that you're five feet eight. How did you? T- no, five ten and a half. Is, it, is that is that true? Yeah. Um, sorry, soccer base. Five eight. Wow. Yeah, I'm five eight. I'm not an athlete though. Um, how did you score so many headers? I think timing. That's it, really. Timing and um, timing of your run, knowing the person who's going to cross the ball into the net, uh, into the into the box. You know what type of cross they got, and it's gambling a lot of times. I must have made those types of runs five, six times in a game and not not got the end of a cross. And it's just going into the areas where you think it's going to make a difference. Um, and generally, with Mark Venus, Jamie Clapham, mm. you know Gary Croft. Not so much, much Martin Rooster. Martin Rooster was about little threaded balls, um, um, jinky runs, more so than crossing the ball in the net. I kind of knew that those type of players would, would we had a connection. So I, we were on the same wavelength with two players with, with one plan, I suppose. I suppose. Um, so at this time, um, before you did what you did in the Premier League, um, it was always talked about the gulf and teams that went up were basically destined to come straight back down honestly what were your expectations for the team before you went into the premier league and did you how many did you think that you would score realistically um before it I started don't know. I, I don't know i just it was the unknown for me really and i think it was the unknown for every player that was there or in our team i don't think any one of them has played in the premier league before um so it was the unknown so we were all hungry that's for sure to to try and prove what we could do at the highest level which is somewhere I've, I wanted to be. That's why I went from Huddersfield to Ipswich. That's why I went from Bristol Rovers to Huddersfield. That's why I went from Huddersfield to Ipswich. That's why I went to Ipswich because I wanted to play in the Premier League. So it was an unknown um, league for me. Um, so and I wanted to prove myself and like everyone else did. And I think that's why we've done so well. Um, season starts sort of slowly. Um, you, you don't score in... Sub. You don't score until the fifth, um, the ninetieth minute of the fifth game, actually. But from then on, it's ridiculous. You won eleven and drew two of the next sixteen. How, how, how did I? It's just an outlier in football. How did this happen? Because so many other teams couldn't win in the championship and then win in the Premier League. What, what, what do you put it down to? Oh, we had a good team spirit. Like I said, I think we had a lot of lads that were hungry and, and wanted to prove themselves in the Premier League. Um, and we genuinely had like good quality in, in amongst the team. So um, all that's um, a good recipe for success. Um, team spirit and hunger, especially amongst players, is um, really important. And that's what we had. So from Boxing Day, for you personally, it goes really crazy because you scored in seven straight games. So it's, I remember Football Focus was doing it, National newspapers um you had 17 goals by january 20th in that season what just what was just what was life like when you're the top striker in the premier league oh god um nothing like i've known known it since um yeah i remember a lot of media attention uh from beyond soccer am to jumpers with goalposts um so no it's it's different um is it something I want to do again? Uh, of course, I want to be in the Premier League, but in terms of all the the palaver that goes with it, it doesn't bother me. You know, it's nice to experience it back then, and it's different to what I've experienced since then and before. But um, I'm a bit wiser nowadays. Um, 
but it was great. There were great times, and I don't, don't regret any any of it. Um, there wasn't many places you could go as well without being recognised. I must admit. But as a footballer, you soon forgot about. <laughs> that's how it is. You are, you are. That's the way. That's the way it is, and you got you got to accept that because there's always someone else coming up through that's bigger, better, stronger, statistically better than you. That's the way it is, and you got to understand your role as you get older. And my role, as it stands now, is a as a coach. So someone else's time at some point in Ipswich's career, uh, in Ipswich's history, to. Do what that team done. Don't know when, but it, it will happen again. <laughs> um, there's one more game I wanted to talk about in that season. So it's April the second away at Southampton on Sky. I think Ipswich we're going to go either third or fourth if you won. So you score in the first half. Brilliant team move. Um, brilliant glancing header for the second goal. Um, I want to talk about the third goal though. The the Penenka mm. penalty. Um, you mentioned about being an entertainer um, earlier earlier in the interview. Um, this this type of penalty. First of all, what happens if you miss? And um, do you, as a sportsman, do you actually care about this? I actually want to entertain these guys. I'm going to do something fun with this. No, no, I don't. No, I don't do it for that reason. Do you know what? It's a really good question because today with the strikers, we're having a bit of extra for half an hour, forty minutes, and we spoke about you know the difference between being casual. And calm, you know, casuals frowned, kind of frowned upon, and calmness is not. Um, so we spoke about penalties that are chipped. You know, keeper stands there. That's casual, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't stand there, he dies to the left or right, and it goes in. It's a calm finish. So it's such a fine line. Um, but then I explained that why I explained to them why I done it because they asked me, did I ever chip the ball in down the middle of the net? And I went, yeah, I did three times in my career. And I explained why, and the reason why I said was because it's not for entertainment. I didn't say that to him, but but that's the question you asked me. It's not for entertainment. It's for for the next penalty, um, because the keeper is going to probably stand still and think I'm going to chip it, but I'm going to put it in one of the corners. So it's always about keeping the, player, the keeper guessing from me because I was I was quite a regular penalty taker in my career. I always want to keep people guessing, uh, especially goalies. So. If I was to chip chip the ball down the middle once every five penalties I had, generally the keeper's going to stand there and he's going to make you look stupid. But I only done it three times in my whole career, so my reason was behind it. And luckily, it was calm and it's the right decision to do was to score a goal. Would you have done it at nil nil like that? I have yes at Wolves. Oh, okay. For Huddersfield, we were in it. It was nil nil at Wolves, and I scored a chip one down the middle. We won one nil, um, and the keeper dived. So, you know, it's not to take the mick out of the keeper. It's not to make the keeper look stupid. It's not to look good and cool. It's not to um, entertain people. It's there. I've done it because I generally thought I could get a goal because the keeper's going to dive one or the other way. That's how I looked at it. Brilliant, I love it. And if it looks entertaining in the meanwhile, brilliant. I'm glad everyone's happy. <laughs> um, someone who was entertained by this penalty was Sven Goran Eriksson, the England manager, who was at the game. Um, Marcus, the list of forwards that got capped ahead of you mm-hmm. that year, Andy Cole, Michael Owen, Emil Heskey, Teddy Sheringham, Kevin Phillips, Robbie Fowler, and Michael Ricketts and Darius Vassell. Um, well, I don't need to ask the question. Did you, did you deserve a go? Um, Michael like Ricketts, Cap England, England. Um, 
But listen, it, 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 at that time, was I disappointed? No. He watched you score a hat trick. I know. Great, isn't it? <laughs> um, but no, it's, did it did it affect my game? No. Did it affect my mentality? No. It is what it is. I'm England fan. I still love England. I watch England. I didn't get the chance. So what? That's where I am. Um, see, That's where I am. Season finishes. Fifth in the table. Amazing. Burley's manager of the year. You're um, second in the top scorers charts behind Hasselbank. Um, and top scorer mm. in English player by three goals as well. Owen got 16, you got 19. Um, just quickly, can you reflect on on that season and what you did personally? Um, God, we achieved so much. We were unexpected to achieve a lot. Um, um, and I achieved it with some really good players and really good lads. So um, I'll never forget how much of you um, the camaraderie we had, team spirit, um, and the amount of results we got for that club. It was great. Yeah. yeah I'll never forget it. Um, let's not go into too much detail about the next season as Idris end up getting relegated. Um, mm. So you have Scowcroft and Wright going out and then this shopping list here. Sereni, Bent, Fanidi, Le Pen, Gardso, Miller, Peralta, Marshall, Cunyago, Carrich. Um, there's UEFA Cup football on Thursdays. The North Stand gets closed for um, to be built up. Uh, w- what went wrong, or is it a mixture of all of those things? Everyone's got their own opinions. I mean, there's a lot of players that came in, a lot of a lot of different nationalities that we had to try and get together. Um, so it was a, it was a, I think it was a learning curve for everyone. The club had to move, had to evolve, had to seem be seen to be getting players in. Because that's the way it is every year. You you have to move the club forward with transfers. Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. You know, that's the way it is. Um, yeah, and I think people obviously other teams done their homework on us as well. And and so, you specifically? I mean, of course they did. You know, if, they, if they're top players, they just so they should do. Um, so you know, you can't blame you can't blame the the recruitment policy because you you have to sometimes look outside the box and I think that's what we did but maybe we've done it a bit too much okay um, some fun what I mean by that is we went a bit more foreign you know away from British players um, and got a, f- a few foreign lads in so great I, obviously um, Herman Horizon who was great um, Sixto Pablo um, we were all good lads but to try and maybe get them together. All at once. Matteo Sereni, of course, who's an Italian lad. So to get them all together all at once, you know, for one season, I don't know. Was that too much? I don't know. You know, and it, it wasn't just, it wouldn't have just been that. There would have been a lot of other things that that were a factor. Um, there was some fun, obviously, for us fans with the European run. So you actually scored in Moscow against Torpedo and... Um, You'll tell me now that it's not for entertainment's sake, but a silly chip against um, Helsingborg. Mm. That that was yeah. that was calm and not casual, wasn't it? Um, you missed out on the Inter game, though. Um, you're out for a couple of months, actually, which probably, um, well, it goes into my question. Um, how did you feel? I, I don't want to push it too much. Not getting to play at the San Siro, and do you? Mm. How did it negatively affect 
Ipswich's chances when you disappeared for two months with that injury? Um, how do I feel? Uh, yeah, I was a bit gutted, if I'm honest. Um, I went out there with the team knowing that I couldn't play, but I was allowed to train non-contact at the time because Major was, wasn't still quite right, but I could get involved in the team as long as no one was, could tackle me and stuff like that. So the coaches would put me in positions where that couldn't happen. So it was nice to actually train on the sensor, but didn't play there. Pleased for the lads because they've done great, great at home. Um, I think Alan got Alan Armstrong get the goal at home, and then he got the only goal away from home. So yeah, but that's part of being a footballer again as well. You know, you got to get over disappointments. You know, whether it's for injury, you're out for two months, whether it's being dropped, um, whether it's um, not playing against a certain team, whether it's giving the ball away and getting it back. The disappointments every ten seconds in football, every two weeks and that's that was just one of them at that time and I had to had to deal with that um, and get behind the players and be as positive as I could um, so yeah it was one of those things I can't do nothing about apart from be supportive towards everyone really um, so as we said the season kind of peters out and Ipswich are relegated um, obviously you've just scored 19 goals the previous season when the relegation was confirmed um, you, you're proven Premier League striker now. Mm. So what, what's your thought process? Because presumably you know that your agent's going to be approached mm. for other people to come and sign you. What was your thought process? Um, as happened, that didn't happen. So <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember being happy, of course. Um, but, you know, when a club gets relegated, everyone's everyone's job's on the line, um, especially if you haven't done it the season before. Um, and I can honestly say that I was as successful that season as I was the year before, along with the rest of the squad, staff as well. Um, that's why we got relegated. So um, everything's up in the air, really. You're not really sure what's going to happen, if I'm honest with you. You're not sure if there's going to be a new manager. You're not sure if you're going to be playing the season after. You don't know. You know the uncertainty probably is the hardest thing to deal with. So it just go down. Um, strangely, they get into Europe again from the Fair Play League. Um, That's right. Yeah. You score your last goal against Avenir Began. Who are they? Yeah. Um, but by this point, it's fairly clear that all those signings we talked about that the finances were a little bit up the swanee. Um, and obviously, in these situations, the best players get picked off straight away. When did you hear of the um, Sunderland interest and how did that all play out? Again, it wasn't through my agent. No? <laughs> so, you know, no, we got a phone call off George. Um, I think it was on deadline day, um, August, late August. Um, I don't remember what time it was in the day, but it was that time and the same thing, you know, generally if the manager calls you and said they've accepted a bid, that, that means they you know, it's time to go. So I, I went up to talk to Sunderland and that was it. And it went, a new chapter in my football career happened. Um, so, and in the first three or four months of there, I had three, four managers then. Um, with Peter Reid, first of all, then Howard Wilkinson and then uh, Mick, who who was great, stabilised the club and got the club back 
promoted again to the championship. We'll come on to Mick. Relegated and promoted. Come on to Mick Sorry. in a second, Marcus. Um, it feel, when you look back at all that happened, it feels like you did about 10 years worth of football in two and a half years at Ipswich, doesn't it? From mm. arriving, a playoff, winning a playoff, to rising up to the Premier League, to finishing fifth, to getting relegated again, to going into administration, to to leaving. It, it just seems a weird existence for that for that period. Yeah, it is. And like I say, it's part of being a footballer, you know. Um, that's that's how it happens. You can be at the top at one stage, at the bottom, and you have to have a level head and be able to think straight if you can. Um, and there was times I couldn't, you know. Um, there's times you're questioning your own ability, there's trying to question the moves you've done. That's just part of being it, and you've you got to try to sometimes work out yourself. And luckily I did. Great stuff. Um, okay, so obviously... Mick McCarthy. Now, I've heard um, you talk very well of um, Mick McCarthy. Obviously, you're probably aware yep. of the back and forth at the moment with Mick and the Ipswich supporters and such and such. No, I'm not. I'm not actually, if I'm honest, though. No, there's a... Well, the contract's expiring at the end of the season and there's... Right. Um, Mick has the odd dig and the fans have the odd dig back and they've both been digging and digging for a while now and it's got a little bit... Um, uncomfortable um just from inside the dressing room what can you what can you tell us about Mick because I know you speak very highly of him Mick's a nice guy and he's, he's one of the managers that tells you what he thinks he's fair um sometimes you might want to might not want to hear what he has to say because it hurt you um but he's honest with you and he's fair with you uh in, in the, on the flip side of it he'll give you confidence and um, encouragement as well so I think, and I've learned a lot from that, um, the fairer you can be, the straighter you can be, straight talking. Um, I think players appreciate it more over my experience of being a coach especially. And that's what we try to be where we're at, if I'm honest with you. If people don't like what we have to say, it won't be said publicly, it won't be said in the dressing room. Sometimes it'll be a one-on-one -on -one if you want to have a chat and you want to hear what I really have to say then that's fine. And it might be good, it might be bad, as long as you're open-minded to that. And Mick was exactly like that. You know, how he comes across in the media, straight-talking, honest, no no slyness about him, no ego about him, very humble. Um, that's how he is with the dressing dress room and with players and with staff. And that's why I always have the utmost respect for the guy. Um, when you look at Ipswich now, obviously you had such great times there and it's kind of 16 years now in the championship and not too much um, in the way of looking like they're going to get anywhere back near the, the Premier League. Um, you would have been playing in front of 20,000 attendances and they've dropped down. How, how do you look upon Ipswich from the outside? Do you Is it just somewhere that you worked or um, do you kind of look out and see how they're... How they're doing? I, of course, I look at see how they're doing. Um, you know, not religiously every game, but I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's a club that I played at. You know, it's a club that gave me the opportunity to play in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, I, I do keep an eye on it, um, but obviously, I have a job to do. And, Sometimes to try and keep an eye on everyone's results when there's you know your, your your results for your club you're working for at the moment are really important. It kind of takes over 
you know, you're in your own little bubble. So when I do come out of that bubble, sometimes um, I do, I do look out for old clubs. That's for sure. Great stuff. Um, just to finish off, Marcus, you've been great giving us so much time. Um, can I just throw some names at you and um, just get your instant, you know, kind of summing up? Yeah. Um, yeah. George Burley. Great club legend. <laughs> really instant. Uh, Matt Holland. Love him. Um, Mr. Ipswich. Uh, Finidi George. Nidi. Um, Did you play in that derby game where he like broke the Opta world record for the best performance ever? No, I, did, I, don't, I might have done. I just don't remember. <laughs> uh, Finidi, Finidi, um, what a nice guy. Um, I don't think we've seen the best of him. Um, Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce. Um, again, pretty honest like Mick was at times. Um, I've been falling out with Steve after games and stuff like that, but on a Monday morning he, he forgot about it and we got on like nothing happened. So, yeah, I quite like Steve. Uh, Herman Horidison. Herman, great. A nutter. What <laughs> uh, a good guy, though. Dale Roberts. Dale. Dale. What do I say about Dale? It's just that great system manager. That footage when it sends it, knowing that he's gone as well, when Rooster scores and you see Burley and Dale Roberts hugging, it always gets me. Uh, Jim Jilton? Jim, passionate. Um, um, wears his heart on his sleeve. Technically great. I had a great connection with him on the pitch, that's for sure. You know, when he got the ball, I knew. He knew where I was going to be. I knew where he was thinking of putting the ball. Um, Daryl Clark. Daryl Clark. What a manager. Passionate. <laughs> um, tactically aware. Um, very young. Got a bright future. Marcus, thank you so, so much. Um, obviously, thank you for what you did um, for the club and such and such back in the day. Um, if this doesn't seem too stalkery, Brook Hotel little spotty yep. teenager who used to bring you a room service right that you it's me <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't seem too stalkery yeah how long were you <laughs> how long were you staying there for i don't know it would have been intermittently it would have been are you, you looking know, for a house waiting for it to move house yeah yeah nice house nice 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 hotel. i remember seeing adam brazil and paul there a couple of times oh yeah i wonder what i wonder which part of the hotel adam brazil would have been in like that yeah. <laughs> there you go um Thank you so much for um, coming on and good luck with no everything, problem, everything for um, for Bristol Rovers. Thank you very much, Ben. Top man. Cool. Thank you. Great stuff. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.